following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Got your Bibles at First Peter. Go ahead and put a marker there or a bookmark or something there. Hold that place. Uh, we will come back to First Peter towards the end of the message today. But what I want you to do is also mark a place in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to spend the majority of our time in Philippians chapter 1 this morning, and we're going to move around to a fair few verses, if you know me. I, I like to, uh, to move around a lot, not only just on the platform here, but, but also across the Bible. Last week we talked about hope and uh, some practical aspects of maintaining or, or managing hope within our own lives. Hope that's not built on ourselves, but hope that is built on a relationship with God. We talked about singing about the power and the grace of God. We talked about preaching the gospel to ourselves, and we talked about making sure that we are talking about what God's doing in our lives and how those things generate or they help to maintain or they build hope within us. I have to be honest with you, the message that I preached last week was a message that I needed to preach to myself many times before coming and preaching last week. I needed the encouragement. I needed to generate, to maintain, to build hope in my own life. This morning's message is similar to that, where this is a message that really is for me, or has been for me, particularly across the last 12 months. While that message is for me, I believe that it is also practical for all of us. So this morning, we are going to talk about learning to love the journey. Learning to love the journey. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into our study this morning. Uh, we'll start off in Philippians, but let's pray together first. Gracious Heavenly Father, Father, none of us here this morning deserve to have your love, your grace, your mercy poured out on us. But Father, you continually saturate us in all three of those. Father, you have been faithful to us. And Father, this morning as we study your word, I pray that first of all, you would be glorified in what we teach today, in what we think today, and how we respond to your word. Father, you are so good to us. Father, we love you. In your name, amen. My dad is one of my favorite people. If, if I were to want to be more like someone, 
If there was a hero in my life, it would be my dad. And I don't just say that because it's a nice thing to say. Across the span of my life, there have been so many moments in my life where I've been able to look at my dad as a, as a strong biblical role model and think to myself, I wish that I could be more like my dad. It's so much of what I've learned across my life can be attributed back to the wisdom and guidance of my dad. Much of what he taught was with very few words, but was reflected in his actions. For instance, every morning, my dad could be found in his bedroom studying the Word of God and praying every single morning. My dad never forced us, he never pushed us to do devotions. He lived the example. Another lesson that I learned from my dad was to learn to love the journey. I have to be honest with you, that is a lesson that I am still going through today. You see, I'm a goal-oriented person. I'm a target fixated person. I see something that needs to be achieved, whether it's in my own life or whether it's in work or whether it was in sport or whatever it was, and I can see the goal and my, my focus is always on achieving the goal and doing whatever is necessary to get to that point. My dad and I, when I was a young boy, I can remember living in Ambunti and then living in Besorio in the Sepik. And uh, I used to love going on walks or on hikes, many journeys with my dad. We'd sit down together and he'd say, hey, uh, hey let's go and climb to the top of that hill or that mountain. Let's, let's climb to the top of there. Or he'd say, hey, let's see if we can forge a path through the bush and see if we can get to that creek, the one that everybody talks about. Let's see if we can get there. Let's go on this journey together. Let's go on this walk together and let's... Let's achieve something. And I loved that. I, I loved getting out and going out with my dad. We'd have a goal, and we'd be focused on that, and we'd set off, and I'm like a bull at a gate. I'm like, I'm here now. I want to be there now. There's something in between, but it doesn't matter to me. I just want to go from here to there. Let's go. Along the way, much to my frustration, my dad would want to stop. Stop and have a look at a flower, a beautiful orchid. He'd stop and he'd look at a lizard sitting on a, on a log. He'd, he'd stop and he'd have a look at the way that the water would cascade across the rocks and it would ripple and make noises. And, and to me, to my frustration, it was, it was like, man, life, we just got to get to the goal. Come on, Dad. You're slowing me down. The goal's out there. It's not the lizard. <coughs> I wanted to find the shortcut to get there. And my dad would often say, hey, hey, Philip. My dad called me Philip. My mom called me PJ. My dad would say, hey, Philip, look at, 
the way that this flower sits in this branch. Have a look at the way that the light makes the colour exaggerate. Have a look at the details of what God has done. And I'm going, Dad, Dad, the mountain is right there. My dad wanted to slow down. He wanted to see the details. I often hear and I've heard that our relationship our growth, our development as believers is a journey. On that journey, there are different events, different milestones. As we work through our walk with God, there are parts of that journey that we like and we naturally find joy in. And there are parts in that journey that we struggle with. What I find in myself is that while I love the parts of the journey that increase my faith, and while I love parts of the journey that that I can see God's sanctifying work, largely, largely, I would rather just skip the difficult points along the road. I would rather just jump to the goal. And when I jump to the goal and I don't follow the path that God has got for me, I miss those moments of grace. I miss those moments of seeing God's love. Someone far wiser than me, which is most people, once said, a man who loves to walk will walk further than the man who only loves the journey. The man who loves to walk will walk further than the man who only loves the journey. The sanctifying work of God in the life of a believer does more than just make him a better person. It does more than change my perspective of myself, my dreams, my wants. The sanctifying work of God displays the grace of God. It saturates me in the mercy of God. It overwhelms me with the love of God. The sanctifying work of God puts on display the depravity of a sinful man and exposes the good work of God in my life. Over the years, God has been teaching me, like my dad did, to love to walk. Not just to dream about, not just to focus on the destination, but to love to walk. Over the years, I've been learning to love the journey. a verse that has had particular impact in my life and and have been particular and has been of particular comfort is Philippians 1 verse 6. You're already in 
Philippians there, have a look down at verse 6. And this is where we're going to spend a significant portion of our time this morning. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So let's break this verse down and let's draw some encouragement from this and let's learn together to love the journey. He which hath begun. The who in this picture, this verse, is crucial to understanding the work that is being performed. The who is so important for us to understand about the work that is being performed in us. Let's go back to verse 3, and let's see if we can figure out who the who is. I say that to our young adults all the time. Who's the who? Verse 3 says, And I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The who in this picture is God. I thank my God, it is he which hath begun a good work in you. My first point for you this morning The work that is critical in your journey was not started by you. The work that is critical for you in your journey was not started by you. It was started by God. It was started by God. Take a look at this with me. This this point is so important for us to understand. Throughout the gospel, there is direction, there is movement, there is, there is action from God. Turn with me, John 3.16. We all know that verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Notice the action was from God. It was God that loved the world a world full of sinners, a world that had turned their backs on Him, a world that was incapable of understanding, let alone loving God. God so loved the world, He loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. Again, we see action. The direction began with God and was directed towards man. It was God that loved the world, and it was God that gave His Son. Have a look at another one with me. Romans 5, verse 8. These should be familiar verses to us. This is what I was talking about last week when I said, preach the gospel to yourself. Romans 5, verse 8. But God commendeth. Again, we see the action is from God. God exhibited God displayed His love. It's not, or it, it's, it's the love that is on display. Not my works, not my actions, not my failures. His love towards 
us. It's God's love on display towards man. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The work is done by God through Christ on my behalf. The action, the direction is from God to us. Let me give you one more example because maybe you're not getting it yet, so I'll give you one more example. 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, In this was manifested, made known, exposed, the love of God toward us. Because that God sent His begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. It's only possible because God showed His love to us by sending the only option that we have for salvation the only option that we have for mercy, the only option that we have for an eternity filled with hope was because of the action of God. Our living through Him is only possible because of the action of God. Verse 10 says, Herein is love, not that we loved God. This wasn't initiated by us. Mankind did not look at itself and go, man, there is a sin problem here. We've got to figure out a solution. We're all going to hell. We've got to figure this out. There was this God that created the earth. Maybe we can go to Him and we can somehow come up with an arrangement with Him where He provides us with salvation. Man didn't come up with a solution. Verse 10. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Can you see the direction? Can you see the action? Can you see the movement from God towards Throughout the entire gospel, there is a direction from God to man. So now that we've established that, come back to to Philippians 1 verse 6 with me. Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you. As we should take on a different picture now that we've looked at this momentum, this movement, this direction from God in the gospel, this should mean something different to us. The work in you began with God. And that is so important for us to understand. Yes, you must believe. Yes, you must have faith. Yes, you must surrender to the will of God. But it was the work of God that brought you to that point of belief. It was the work of God that brought you to that point of faith. It was the work of God that brought you to that point of surrender. The work that is critical in your life, in your journey, was not started by you. It was started by God. Go back to the beginning of that verse and notice how he starts the verse. He says, being confident. Being confident. 
The only reason that we can be confident is because the work wasn't started by us. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you. If it had started with me, if I had started the work in my own life, it wouldn't be a good work. Why? Because it would be tainted by sin. It would be perverted by my own selfish desires. So the only way for the work to work is if the work was started by God. The work that has begun in me, in you, in the believer, is a good work, and we can be confident in it because it was started by God. It was started by the creator of the whole universe, the master craftsman. It was started by our heavenly Father who loves us and knows us in greater detail than we know ourselves. Have a look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. Says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and know me. Thou knowest my down sitting and my uprising. Thou understand my thought afar off. Thou compassed me my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. The God who knows all things. The God who is love. Not just loving, but is love. The God who you as a believer can call Father started a good work in you. Think about that just for a moment. The creator of the entire universe. The master craftsman who placed each star in its place in the sky who allows the breeze to run across the land in the morning, who makes sure that the orbit of the sun and the earth and all of the planets stay where it's supposed to stay. That God, that Master Craftsman, that Father started a good work in you. That should blow our minds. How can a loving God care so much about an insignificant sinner? Come back to Philippians 1, verse 6. It's a good work. We can see that in the text. 
but what is the work? What is the work? Warren Wearsby puts it this way. He says, salvation is the work that God does for us. Sanctification is the work that God does in us. Service is the work that God does through us. The work of salvation in your life was performed by God. The continued work of sanctification is the work of God in us to confirm us or conform us to the image of His Son. That's what God's doing in us now. The service is the overflow of the work that God does in us. The work that God did in saving us is good. I think we can all agree with that. And the the work that He does through us is good. And I think if I were to get a consensus, the work that God does through us, the service that we apply, which God does through us, I think we could say that it is good. But where I so often come unstuck, where I so often get hung up, where I begin to doubt, where I sometimes question the wisdom of the Almighty God. The work that He's doing in me, in us, is it good? Yeah, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's mind-blowingly good, and I can see that, but is it always good? Have a look at Psalm 145. Verse 9, Psalm 145, verse 9. It answers this question. It says, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. It is good. Have a look down a couple of verses. Verse 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all His ways, and holy in all His works. Friend, it is good. The work that He started and that He is doing in your life right now is good. God is good. and The work that He is doing in me and through me is good. The problem isn't God. The problem is my understanding of what is good. My opinion of good is tainted by my heart. It's tainted by my flesh. It's tainted by my selfish desires. Friends, we can be confident that the work of God is good. What He is doing in you is good. So now that I'm saved... What is the good work that He is doing in me? It's called sanctification. You've heard Pastor Matt talk about it many times. The process by which God conforms us to the image of His Son. We'll read a familiar verse. We've been studying this recently. Romans 8, 28 to 29. Romans 8, 28 to 29. We know that all things work together for good for them that love God 
to them that are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, and hear this, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's work in your life is good. The second point that we'll look at this morning, the work that is critical to your sanctification is not done by you. It's done by God through the Holy Spirit. The work of sanctification in your life is not done by you. It's done by God through the Holy Spirit. Have a look back at Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it will perform it. Remember the who in this. It is God who began the work in you, and it is God who will perform it. He will continue it. He will execute it. So what is sanctification, and why is it important to me? I got saved. I'm going to heaven now. What more do I need to do? Is there another step in this process? Do do I need to do something to continue to be saved or to, to, to continue to impress God? Listen to me closely. The work of God on your behalf was more than just saving you from hell. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was not just a life raft for you to avoid eternal damnation. It was the beginning of a work in you to change you so that you could be, so that you could do exactly what God designed you to do. And ultimately, that is to glorify Him. Sanctification is the continuing work of change that God does in the believer, freeing us from sin and forming us into a Christ-like person. It changes my nature. So why is that important? First Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. In all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, the overwhelming truth of what Peter has just said there, be ye holy as God is holy, is impossible apart from the work of God in your life. It's impossible for me to be holy apart from the work that God is doing in my life. I want you to listen to the next couple of couple of statements because it's, it's so important for us as believers to, gr- to grasp. Our lives as believers are doomed to despair while we continue to attempt to, to battle, to, to fight against our flesh just in and of ourselves. We cannot achieve it by just working harder. We cannot achieve it by just trying to muscle it. 
It's not the work that I'm doing that's conforming me. It's the work that God is doing in me that changes me, that conforms me. (coughs) God calls us, his children, to holiness. He calls us to holiness. And in his grace, through the work of the Holy Spirit, he gives us what we need to meet those demands. Let me say that again. God calls us to holiness. As his children, he calls us to holiness. And in his grace, he provided us the Holy Spirit so that we can meet that demand. (coughs) 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. God began a good work in you. He saved you. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, He continues to do a good work in you to sanctify you. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God that worketh in you, both to do and to will of his good pleasure. The work that he is doing in me is for his pleasure, for his glory. So what does sanctification look like in my life? What does sanctification look like in our lives? I'm saved through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, a work that was initiated by God, a work that I can be confident in. Now, as a believer, God places in me a desire to grow in knowledge. You understand that? That as a believer, there is a desire in you to grow in knowledge, a a knowledge of God, a practical knowledge that's gained through through His Word, a, a knowledge that as we read this and as we study this, we can apply to our lives. There's a desire in you as a believer to grow in knowledge from what's said in God's Word. But there's also a desire in you to grow in knowledge based on experience in the relationship that you have with God. That's a desire that we have. I want to grow closer to to God. I want to gain knowledge of God, and I do that by studying in His Word, and I do that by growing in my relationship with God. I gain through my daily relationship with God that knowledge. I rely on the Holy Spirit to guide me in truth as I study the Word of God. And I respond as the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin, of anything that's going to impact my relationship with God. I study the Word. 
I learn what it is that God would have for me in my relationship with God and by studying His Word. And I rely on the Holy Spirit to work in me, to guide me in truth as I study this. And I, and I rely on the Holy Spirit to convict me when there's something in my life that I need to deal with. Because right now, maybe that's not impacting my relationship with God. But if I don't deal with it, it's going to impact my relationship with God. So I respond to what the Holy Spirit is convicting me of, what the Holy Spirit is is pointing out in my life. I respond to that and I deal with it. I don't just let it sit there and fester. I deal with it. As I continue to grow in knowledge through time in God's Word, and as I continue to respond to what the Holy Spirit is is progressively convicting me of and changing in my life, my heart seeks more and more to glorify God in all things. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Do all things to the glory of God. That's everything. Do all things to the glory of God. And as I grow closer to God in my relationship with Him, and as I understand more of His character by reading His Word, I become more Christ-like. And it impacts everything that I do. As hardship arises in any form, doesn't matter what it is, death in the family, illness, bad work day at work, whatever it is, as hardship arises... (coughs) my perspective becomes that of glorification to God. Because I know that in this hardship, that in this moment, that in this event in my life, God is working. Peter says, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. Being conformed to the image of Christ. God calls me to be holy, and in His grace, through the work of the Holy Spirit in me, He sanctifies me. I become more of who God wants me to be and less of who I desire to be in my flesh. So come back to Philippians 1, verse 6 with me. Being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I can be confident, you can be confident that the work of God is begun in you. And it is still executing that work in me, in you, through the work of the Holy Spirit. But my confidence is not in my own ability to save myself. It's not in my own ability to sanctify myself. It's not in my own ability to somehow continue to impress God. Because God is working in me. And what I need to be doing is responding to the Holy Spirit. Be faithful to study His Word. Be consistent in my relationship with him. It's not about me just working harder to get it right, to be more holy. It's about allowing God to work in me through the Holy Spirit. This brings us to our 
last part of this verse and our final point. Philippians 1, 6, again, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. A third point this morning, the work that is critical to sustain you until the return of Christ is the work of God through Jesus Christ. The work that is critical to sustain you until the return of Jesus Christ is the work of God through Jesus Christ. Sinclair Ferguson in his book Lessons from the Upper Room said, no matter what happens, the biggest issue of life has been settled. Our final destination in the Father's house. Believer, Christian, Brother, sister, the biggest issue, if you are a believer here this morning, the biggest issue of life has already been settled. You are a believer here this morning. Your eternity is secure. Do you understand that? That's the work of God. It's not me muscling it up. It's not me mustering up enough strength, being good enough, being holy enough. It is the work of God that secures you for eternity. The work of salvation that God began in you, the work that God continues to do in you to save you and to sanctify you, He will continue to do until Jesus returns and takes us home to be with the Father. What we learned from Paul this morning as we looked at the Philippians, maybe we need to hear from a different perspective from someone else. Maybe we need to hear from Peter, and we saw a little bit of Peter there. Peter was a man who we all know struggled. If you're going to point to one thing that reminds you of Peter, you'd go, denying Christ. Peter was a man who had his struggles. He was immature, as we read in John's Gospel. He was immature. He was reactive. He lacked wisdom. He doubted and denied Christ. Peter was there in the upper room at the Last Supper, but he did not understand at all what Jesus was saying. And when Jesus says in John 14, 2, when Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. At the time, Peter didn't understand. But he came to understand later on. We see Peter's ministry has a massive impact. Maybe he was thinking of those words from Jesus when he was writing to the believers, and we see it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, our scripture reading this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. We talked about hope last week. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible. Think about that for just a moment. As a child of God, no matter what takes place on earth, no matter what takes place in your lifetime, no matter what the circumstances are, the events are, the hardships are, you have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are, and this should grab us, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. We are kept by God. It is God's work that is keeping you, not yours. Ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith, being much more precious, get that, that the trial is more precious than gold, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. It's a work of God that saved you. That work was initiated by God. It is the work of God that continues to sanctify, to, to conform you into the image of Christ. And it is the work of God that will keep you until Christ returns again. At the start of this message, I began by telling you about going on journeys with my dad. As a young boy, all I wanted was to get to the goal. The sidetracks, the distractions that my father would, would take me on frustrated me. It felt like they were, they were pointless. Dad, why? Why are you pointing that flower out to me? Why do you make me look at that lizard on the log? To me, it felt like they were pointless. The goal was the goal. Over the years, I have learned that the journey is much more enjoyable when I allow my Father to guide me, to point things out, to correct me when I'm wrong, to help me navigate the hardships, to look at the blessings and the lessons in the journey. I'm still learning. I'm still not there. None of us are. But over the years, I've been learning to love the journey that God has for me as He does His work of grace 
in my life. Learn to love the journey. Learn to look for the moments of grace in the journey. Learn to look for the overwhelming love of God in the journey. Learn to be saturated in the mercy of God in the journey. Gracious Heavenly Father, you do so much more for us than we could ever deserve. Father, your death or your son's death on the cross for us to save us from our sins was more than enough. Father, it would be enough if you took us back to heaven just to be slaves at your feet. But Father, you did so much more than that for us. Father, you continue to work in us to conform us into the the image of your Son. You continue to to change us, to mold us, to shape us into the, the people that you would have us be so that we can better glorify you. And Father, one day you will take us home to be with you. To sit at your feet. To bask in your glory. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach me. Teach us to love the journey. Father, to look for those moments in the journey where it's hard, but we know that you are working in it. Father, I pray that we would see your work in our lives. Father, we love you. You are so good to us. In your name, amen. All right, well, thank you for your...